Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to Terrell Ford, draft pick of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we'll also talk to the coach of the Winnipeg Rifles, Jordy Wilson, who is leading a push for responsible coaching in the light of the Kelsey McKay allegations. That's all coming up on the podcast. Terrell Ford, the 13th overall pick of the CFL draft yesterday, Winnipeg's first selection off the board, and Terrell joins us now. How does it feel to be a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Terrell? Man, it's it's very exciting. It's kind of surreal. You know, I've always wanted to play professional football, and, you know, now I, I, I got the chance, and they're a very big defensive-oriented team, which I really like. I mean, in university, it was kind of all, you know, an offensive show, so I'm definitely excited for the opportunity. What was last night like for you with your brother selected a few picks higher, you getting picked at 13? What was that moment like for you and your family? Well, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, brotherly competition. You know, he kind of beat me. He went a little bit before me. But, I mean, I was just with my whole my family just, you know, watching the draft. And I kind of kind of knew I was going to fall down a little bit like me and my brother just because of our NFL minicamp invites. But I mean, once my, once my name was called and, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true to, you know, be at that level of professional football. And that's what I've been working for ever since I was young. So it was, it was a great moment for me. Now growing up in Ontario, does that mean you have uh, to change allegiances here? Maybe you grew up a Ticats fan. Uh, I wasn't really, I didn't really watch much CFL when I was I was younger. I didn't really start watching until uh, university, actually. Uh, but I don't know. I never really, I've never really had a favorite team in the CFL. And I've, I, I remember I used to like the Falcons when I was younger. But other than that, I haven't really had a favorite team. My team was my thing was I'm always going to be whatever team takes a chance on me. That's my team. So. So it's the Bombers then. Yeah, yeah, it's the Bombers. All right. So, how would you describe yourself as a football player? Uh, well, first off, I'm very, very, I would say, very athletic. I'm a very athletic player, um, and I'm very, very competitive. And above all that is, I I'm a perfectionist. I think you can't really, because I mean, in stuff games, like in games, stuff kind of just happens. But like at practice, like if I can't get something right it really bugs me or like if I'm doing 10 reps and one-on-ones and someone catches a five-yard hook, that, that kind of stuff sticks with me for a long time. And I think that's why I'm able to play at a high level because I hold myself to such a high standard. But I mean, I'm just a hard worker and I want to contribute to the team in any way and try to go get that three-peat. So when you're training with your brother who is a quarterback and you're a defensive back, are you able to, to do drills against each other? Is he trying to complete passes against you, or is it more so in the gym stuff that you push each other on? Um, it's it's both. Uh, the other day we were uh, training at Waterloo, and it was with my, my roommate and obviously my brother. He was playing quarterback, and we ran like I think 10, 10 or 12 one-on-one reps, and my, my roommate, he, he's on the team as well, but he only caught I think like two or three and I mean, the two or three really, really stuck with me. But just competing in that way, just me against him there, is just 
it's every day and it just pushes us both to be better. And as well as in the gym, like if we're benching or squatting or racing or just, just any lift or anything in general, you know, we're always pushing each other to try to get one more rep or go a little bit heavier and just pulls the best out of you. When did you start playing football and when did you decide to go defense and your brother went offense? Uh, so we started playing football when we were about seven years old in a league where it was like, I think, nine and ten. So we were definitely a little undersized. And, you know, we were the worst players. We were actually allowed an extra guy in the field. We both actually were safeties. Um, and then, you know, we started to excel once we reached that age and then all the way up to high school. And I played receiver and DB. And then from there, I kind of decided – I'm, I'm going to go DB just because I felt like receiver was a little bit easy, especially in high school. And I kind of like to challenge myself. So I decided DB was the spot for me. And at what point did you realize, Oh, I'm pretty good at this. I could play at the next level after university. Oh, that was that. So it's kind of like that, playing football has always been a dream. Like I was saying earlier, and we started when we, were, when we were real young, and we treated it like a job then. So, I mean, kind of at that age, I knew, like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play football. And, I mean, we just kept working at it, working at it. And I knew from, from a pretty early age I was going to get a shot somewhere. My work ethic wasn't going to, like, it was going to make sure that, that happened. So, How much fun do you have playing football? Oh, I love playing football. I I love just going, especially one-on-one with a receiver, especially when they think they're really good, just so I can, you know, try to humble them a little bit. Uh, but I don't know. I, I love all the aspects. I love competing. I love one another big thing I love is just in the locker room with your teammates, like the family and the bond that you build with guys like that. It lasts a lifetime. Like I got guys in high school that I still talk to, even from minor league when I played that I still lock, talk to. So just the relationships I'm going to build and, Obviously, you know, I just I just love the game. I love everything about it. I love the work that goes in off season. I love playing at like film everything. So, what do the next couple of weeks look like for you? Uh, so, actually, leave today's been really busy. I've had like twenty phone calls, but I leave tomorrow morning for the Jets, the New York Jets. I have a mini camp from Thursday to Sunday, and then after that, I I come back home for like couple of days and then I'm pretty sure on either Wednesday or Thursday I leave to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers mini camp and then after that if uh, nothing works out up in the states then I'm going to be going to the Bombers baby I'm going to be a little bit late to camp but yeah I'll be making my way down to Winnipeg it's understood though why you're going to be a little late. You're chasing your dream, and no one can can fault you on that. So, thanks for uh, sticking with us here tonight. Thanks for joining us, and uh, maybe we'll see you in Winnipeg in a couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe we have to see. All right, have a good night, Terrell. Thanks for doing this. Right, you too. Bye. That's Terrell Ford, 13th overall pick by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in yesterday's draft. As you heard him say, he could be here. He's going to try out at mini camps down in the States. Uh, but if those don't work out, he will be here with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when their camp gets going in a short amount of time. Rookie camp opens in a week, folks. And then main camp is less than two weeks away. Let us talk now with Jordy Wilson, the head coach of the Winnipeg Rifles. 
as the push continues for responsible coaching in our province. Jordy, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So, first of all, let's go back to uh, when we learned about the the allegations against former Vincent Massey and, and Churchill coach Kelsey McKay. Why did you see it fit for yourself to lead this push to take action and make sport a safer place for kids? Well, I think like lots of people, it, it's 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 a terrible topic, right? And it it makes people really squeamish, and it's tough topics require tough questions and tough conversation. And it if if it's not me, then who is it? So I, I just kind of was like, you know what? I've had enough of this stuff. Like, I, and again, this is in in my sport, but again, this isn't a football problem as we've seen. It's a it's a sport and societal problem that happens in workplaces, etc. And and it's just like. I, I just I don't want to be a bystander anymore. I want to do something that meaningful that we can get some change happening to protect kids and to help these victims to come forward so that they can get the help that they need. And just a few days ago, Winnipeg Police saying that more victims uh, have come forward with allegations yeah. against Kelsey McKay and more charges have been added to to his situation. Now, in the time since then uh, that you've been talking to people that you've been you've been on the air here before trying yeah. to come up with plans for change, where are yeah. we right now in terms of trying to enact change? Well, we're we're moving forward. So I guess what happened when this started, I was going like, you know what? I got to put something together. So anyways, I put a proposal together, my initial one, and I had uh you know, I, I I was trying to message uh, our education minister at Wayne Owasco and and uh, Heather Stevenson and our sport minister Andrew Smith, and they started following me on Twitter. But when I was DMing them, they weren't responding. So then I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk to the other side. So Adrian Sala, who is uh, our MLA for St. James, where our coffee house is, he I talked to him quite regularly, and I I phoned him up and I told him what was going on, and he's like, send it to me. So I sent it to him. He says, I'll run up the flagpole with our caucus and see what they have to say with it. And uh, within days, okay, at that point, then I emailed our government and uh, the three mentioned, and all of a sudden they responded to me quickly once they realized that the uh, NDP were moving this thing through the uh, pipeline. So I then had a a meeting last Thursday with uh, Wayne Owasco, who's the education minister, and Andrew Smith, who is the uh, sport minister and their deputy ministers and their assistants. So there are the six of them and myself, and I went through a proposal and I refined the proposal um, as, you know, talking to people. I talked a lot to Janet McMahon, the CEO of Sport Manitoba, stuff that they have, and, you know, tried to build off that and some other ideas that I had, and I presented that to them, and they were receptive to it. And, uh, you know, they obviously, like most people, they're disgusted by some of the stuff that's going on, but the whole part is that we have to keep pressure on them to make sure this happens. So then after I left that meeting, I talked to Adrian Sell, and he said to me that, I guess in order for a private member's bill to come forward, which the NDP are bringing forward, the first step is a resolution. And uh, that resolution will be presented in the ledge next Thursday, April 12th at 11 o'clock. So we're asking all football community, all the sports community, concerned citizens to meet at the entranceway to the legislative building. Adrian Sala and Jamie Moses, who's the MLA for St. Vitale, will be bringing this uh, resolution forward. They're going to meet us there. We'll go to the NDP uh, caucus room, we'll meet with them, and then they'll take us up into the gallery. And then they'll be presenting this at 11 o'clock. And we want to have as big of contingency there as possible, again, to urge the government we need to move this forward. Because we can really make a bipartisan bill 
you know, that both sides of the government are, are happy, or both sides of the ledge are happy with. And wouldn't that be something that they could agree upon something equal? And the other thing that's important, they can bring a private member's bill forward, but there is some money that needs to be put in place to, for some promotion stuff. And also, ultimately, for the end of the day, we need a, a trauma support unit for athletes that have been victimized. And there is some money applied, but it's not, you know, we're not talking millions of dollars here. We're talking the hundreds of thousands of dollars range. And it's, uh, we need the government to be on board with this. So hopefully, by that, having that strong show and standing together with each other, that we can force change. And I, my wish is that the McKay case is to go to court in July. I want to have this, you know, some, some legislation put in, policies and money flowing to get this thing started before that court case goes in July. Can you give a, a cliff notes of what is in this resolution? Yeah, this is, I guess, the three pillars of what we're trying to get done here is, A, we want to have a condition of employment as a teacher slash coach in the education system that you cannot have students or players in your home. And if you do, you lose your job. And from the perspective of community coaches, same kind of idea again. And in saying that, with the hard and fast of it, but let's say, again, there's exceptions to everything. You might be a teacher and you might have your own kid in the school where you teach, which quite often happens for sure in rural communities, you just go to the principal and you say, hey, you know, my kids here, oh yeah, no problem, you can have kids over. But again, now we're transparent. We know that there's going to be kids in that home. So that's that's fine. If the principal okays it, we're good with that. And then in the community, same thing. If you're a community coach, you might be coaching your own kid. You talk to the president of the board and they say, yeah, you can have kids over your house. That's fine. But never, if you are going to have kids over your home, you have to have a couple adults there. Because it's just, we can't have kids alone with predators right and the thing is people that are up front about this stuff they're not predators they're telling you know what's going on so the first part is that the second pillar is like there's a it's called the sports support line which probably no manitobans know because there hasn't been any money allocated from the province to promote this you, it's an independent third-party person actually in saskatchewan that answers that uh answers the phone so if you had a you know you were assaulted or something like happened you could call for any sport reason for that matter at that line then the individual Bruce who answers it, he would direct you um, to the proper authority. There's a, a group called Sport Law, and Sport Law will now tell you who to go speak to and all that stuff. So let's say you were sexually assaulted. You call Bruce, and then what happens is Bruce directs you to Sport Law, and then Sport Law would then tell you to contact this number. But the problem we have is there's no trauma unit for, for minors in Manitoba in sports. So if you're an adult, they'll send you to the clinic, but the clinic is overwhelmed right now. So what we're trying to do is, again – get the promotion piece out there of what grooming looks like. So we have ads. So during registration time in the spring for spring, summer sports, there's ads running on TV, on social media, on billboards about this. And then in the fall, we have for our fall winter sports, we have another blitz at that time. And then we have ads throughout the year that show what grooming is. And maybe some of those MPI ads of, you know, we have victims that come forward that are willing to do an ad and explain, you know, what the trauma is. So, and also to promote whistleblowers. So in community, they go, if there's something wrong, they can phone this line. But the other part with this phoning this line is the problem. Kids and a lot of people now don't phone. We need to get this thing converted over to being text friendly because it's also a lot more impersonal if you're if you've been you know if you've been sexually assaulted to talk to someone versus texting. So again, what we're trying to get is the condition of employment. We need to get a sport trauma unit set up, and we need to have this advertising revenue to or money to promote all this stuff. And that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking, so just to give you an idea when I'm talking about money, it's $305,000 annually we're looking for the government. And then the trauma unit, we can't price that out yet because we're still working on that. 
But we're not talking about millions of dollars here. So this is stuff that's quite doable that, again, we just have to keep the government, keep their feet to the fire until this thing gets done. So I got an email from Sport Manitoba today, Jordy, about uh, on the 11th that uh, they are reinforcing their commitment to safer sport to the sport community, reintroducing the Safe Sport line, announce a partnership with Sport Law and raise awareness of key policies and procedures that provincial sports organizations have in place to educate and support their members. Is this something that is going to help with your cause? Yes. And the thing is, okay, and and I knew about that because I talked to Janet about it, but what Janet needs and what Sport Manitoba needs is they need the average, the money to actually promote that. They're going to have that little launch on the 11th, but they have no revenue to really get that out into the public. And that's what we need the money for is to get that out there and then also to convert that phone line into a text line and also look at creating an app for it. So, yeah, I'm well aware of that, and that's certainly a step, but we need more money to promote that to the public so we all start understanding what it looks like. Like, you know, like the interesting part, you talk about groom, like we've talked about grooming. Most of us don't even know what it is. And from what I can gather from... The, uh, from talking to a number of people here, the grooming that took place in Winnipeg started with the individual buying Slurpees. And that's like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about that people wouldn't even necessarily know that's what's going on, but that's the stuff that's going on. So what does grooming look like? Well, show us. Let's see what it is, right? So these are the kind of things so that as a bystander, all of a sudden your next-door neighbor, you see some guy, and all of a sudden he's got kids in his house, and you think, geez, that's kind of weird. Well, what do you do? You don't call the cops. Well, what do you do? You can now text this line or call that line. We'll direct you to sport law. Sport law will then go inform the school that, you know, this coach has kids in the house and then they can investigate it. And then if the police need to be brought in, they can be brought in. But we need to have more transparency and we can't be bystanders any longer because this is way too important. The damage has been done to kids. Like you look at those people coming forward from Churchill. They're 35, 40 year old men now that have been carrying this for, you know, over a decade. And what has their lives been like? I mean, have they been able to hold permanent employment? Are they turned abusive? Are they been self-medicating? What have they been doing? We need to get help for these victims, and these victims need to understand that they're truly heroes when they come forward. Because what they're doing is they're they're preventing other kids from being victims, and they're also coming forward to get help for themselves so that they can they can deal with it. You're not going to get over it, but you've got to learn how to deal with it so they can be functioning, you know, contributing members of our society. And that's that's what this is about. We're going to help people and we're going to try to, or we're not going to stop. Like I told Wayne Owasco when I walked out of his office, he said, I'm a badger, man. I'm going to be calling you every two weeks until we get something done. And this isn't going to end until we get meaningful change. And that's why we need people on the 12th to show up at the ledge. Let's stand, wear your old team jackets and your jerseys. Let's stand shoulder to shoulder and let's show everybody that we're not accepting what's going on now. We want change. Good on this. Good on you for uh, headmanning this, Jordy. It's an uh, excellent cause and uh, wish you the best of luck with everything here. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. I got to get back to practice. <laughs> okay. See you later. There you go. Jordy Wilson, the head coach of the Winnipeg Rifles again. May 12th. He said April. He, we know he meant May uh, earlier in that interview. April 12th, 11 a.m. at the legislature next week. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this Try to warn you over the day. You may not 
Sarah intellect, which might explain.